I'm Jerry Oliveri, and this is the Digital Dialogue Series from the Order of the Golden Rule, a podcast by, for, and about the independent funeral home profession. Our theme this year is, What's Your Edge? As we focus on how you can develop and leverage the edge you have over your competition. Today's guest is Kelly Romanowski of LifeSource the Donate Life affiliate serving the upper Midwest of the United States in all aspects of organ, eye, and tissue donation. Kelly served as a funeral director for a decade before moving to LifeSource, bringing with her a unique perspective from her time in the funeral profession and also a couple of personal stories that connect her to the important work of organ and tissue donation. So my mother received the gift of bone tissue twice in her life. My husband, before we got married, um, had a snowmobile accident and needed to have a donor ACL. So he received also a gift of donation and is able to walk because of the generosity of a family who made that decision as well. Kelly will discuss how these edges help her stay so passionate about her work and how donor networks and funeral homes can benefit one another. Stay with us. OGR's Digital Dialogue Series is brought to you by The Dodge Company, the world's largest manufacturer and distributor of preparation room supplies and an OGR-endorsed supplier. Learn more at dodgeco.com. That's D-O-D-G-E-C-O.com. Hi, I'm Jerry Oliveri, your host today for What's Your Edge? Today's guest on What's Your Edge is Kelly Romanowski. Why did you originally become a funeral director? There's usually a story that's tied into that. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for hosting me today. Very excited to be here. I had originally thought I was going to be a nurse. Um, I wanted to start in a helping profession. I worked as a registrar in an urgent care. And from that, I determined that just wasn't going to be for me. So I still wanted that interaction with people and still be in a helping profession, but I didn't want to spend a lot more time in college. So I investigated some options and came across mortuary science. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of a different career choice, Um, but it's really unique and it's interesting and it's definitely a helping profession. So I went and talked to the program director at our local mortuary college and it really spoke to me. And really, um, it, it was so, so caring. It was not anything that I had envisioned. Um, the part that I would have the most problem with or my, my thought process would be in the embalming room. And that was something that was extremely respectful and very clinical. It was surgery-like and it was nothing that I had envisioned. And so from there, I started attending classes and graduated in 2001 with my bachelor's degree. One thing I thought was really interesting about our class, we were the first class graduating from the university that was 50% men and 50% women. So we were, yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, I graduated in 80... Eight, 80, no, 84. I graduated. Okay. I'm, I'm really showing you my age. I graduated <laughs> opened my business in 87 and we were 50, 50 and I was in New York. So we were okay. Okay. Dallas. So we took what a little time to catch up. To? Yeah. What? I went to the university of Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay. 
So uh, did you want to say where you worked and how long you worked at, at a funeral home? Oh, sure. I, I practiced in the Twin Cities. Um, I worked for a family-owned funeral home. They had three chapels. I worked with um, seven other funeral directors, and we served between 650 and 700 families each year. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's, we were, we were yeah. very busy. <laughs> that's almost 100 caseload per person. Pretty close. Pretty close. Every day is busy. Every day was busy. So I'm going to go a little deeper now. What experiences yeah. with families do you recall while working at the funeral home that either you remember fondly or you want to share or parlayed you into starting to think about going into um, the tissue organ donation? So this, this one's a tough one for me. Um, and it's I have a personal connection to this. And it was actually my mom. Um, so if, if you have a few moments, I'd love to share this. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This, this, this one, it, it's about 10 years going on, but it still impacts me to this day. Um, and I still feel that deep connection and gratitude for that family who made that choice. I am so incredibly grateful. So my mother received the gift of bone tissue twice in her life. Uh, she first received the gift of bone after a routine dental procedure went awry. She had a root canal and then she developed an infection in her jaw, which got into her, her, her bone in her jaw. And so she needed to see an endodontist and they implanted that bone and eventually that infection cleared. And I didn't know about this at the time um, that she had that done. She just said she was having some dental work. The second time that we knew about it was later on in her life. She developed a, a really rare lung condition called BOOP, B-O-O-P, uh, and it's very similar to cystic fibrosis and pneumonia all wrapped up in one. Ooh. So it's a, a pretty severe disease, and she had been on oral steroids for a long time, and that being on that medication, it's a double-edged sword. Um, it's great to help you breathe, but it produces so many other complicated aspects. Her bones became extremely brittle and oh. she developed five to six um, fractures in her spine. Um, so your spine is the powerhouse of your body. It's your core, it's how you move and breathe. And so she developed those six fractures and she couldn't sit. She couldn't stand. She couldn't lay down. She couldn't walk without being in tremendous amounts of pain. You know, and seeing someone you love experience that pain and know that there's nothing you can do, you feel absolutely helpless and you would do anything in your power to help them. Mm -hmm. So we were just about at our wit's end, not knowing what to do when she got a referral to a surgeon. She saw the surgeon and he recommended that she receive this bone transplant. And as a family we met, um, we're, we weren't really sure what this meant and what this looked like for her. So we finally agreed and she's like, yeah, I wanna do it. And we wanted her to do it so that she would try and get some relief. She went and had the procedure and they injected a bone putty or a bone paste into those fractures. And within a month, 
we saw her having some relief. That's Within fun. two months, she was able to move on her own again. To see that kind of a change and know that that impact of that gift that someone gave to my mom, and I won't know who that person ever will be, I can never repay that. And I'm so grateful that she lived her last year pain-free. Yeah. Here, it's a very emotional for you, but it, um, yeah. but I can see how your job is very emotional for you also then to be so helpful to other families. And yes. I don't know your mother's whole experience, but I know just now I have the same bone root canal issue in my mouth also. So oh right my gosh. I have somebody else's putty in my mouth waiting to put a dental implant because they had to rebuild this whole side for me. Oh my gosh. So I, I know that gift. I understand it. So I guess similar, um, but not to your mother's full extent with the spine. Oh my yeah. God. Well, and dental offices, believe it or not, are one of the largest consumers of donor graphs. Um, yeah, they say that stories blood rushes, like that. Blood rushes right in and new capillaries yeah. form right in that new bone paste, they said. Yeah. And yeah, it's decellularized. Yeah. The, the bone is decellularized. So you're a little science behind it. The osteoblasts are going into that matrix and they're helping build that bone. So it's your own cells that are rejuvenating yeah. in that matrix. It's That's really amazing. Said. Yeah. I'm like, I can eat and everything, even though I have like a hole right now, but it does, I'm not yeah. anything. It's, it's amazing, right? But it is. Little miracles help us. You know, yes. you know, like you said, they're one of the largest. Imagine losing your tooth after tooth and then losing your self-esteem and everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very important. So emotionally, you have that attachment now. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, okay. I have a second donation story. <laughs> OK, I'm not like a lot of other people. My husband, before we got married, um, had a snowmobile accident and needed to have a donor ACL. So he received also a gift of donation and is able to walk because of the generosity of a family who made that decision as well. Um, that's really good. Okay, yeah. um, we're gonna take a quick break and when we return, Kelly from LifeSource will fill us in on why she made the transition to LifeSource and we'll be right back. The Dodge Company was started as a family owned business in 1893 operating out of the family's home with a lab in the laundry room, manufacturing in the basement, and finished products stored under the porch. In the nearly 130 years since, Dodge has grown into the world's largest manufacturer and distributor of prep room supplies, but we remain a family business. No matter the size of your funeral home, find out how Dodge can meet your needs at shop.dodgeco.com. That's shop.dodgeco.com. Hi, I'm Jerry Oliveri, hosting What's Your Edge with OGR, and we're back with Kelly from LifeSource. So you did fill us in a little bit before we left and what made you decide to make that transition to working the world of organ and tissue donation from funeral director. So what is involved in becoming a certified tissue bank specialist? That is a great question. So a certified tissue bank specialist 
has knowledge of all aspects of tissue recovery, um, approaching families, about speaking about the gifts, human anatomy, and the whole process of donation itself. Um, it's very um, robust in its education requirements. And there is a very large exam um, that is administered. You also have to be up on CEUs every, every few years. Every three years, you need to have 40 CEU credits. So it, there is intensive learning and intensive training to maintain that certification. Um, have you ever heard of the like the New Jersey sharing network? That's ours. Are you all connected somehow federally and into one big thing with different names or you don't communicate to each other or because you run similar to the way we do. There's got to be some kind of connection, I would think, across the states federally or. Yeah, of course. So across the United States, there are 57 other organizations like LifeSource that operate as organ, tissue, and eye recovery agencies. Um, they are all federally designated, and we all have our specific territory. Um, the territory we represent is Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and three counties of Western Wisconsin. So we are the second largest OPO, or organ procurement agency, that's federally designated. And now if somebody wanted to make a donation, do, I'm not even sure if our sharing network does it or not, but is there on your website like donations or if families uh, want to also besides donate organs want to do monetary donations and can they make requests? Because I'm sure you need all that. Absolutely. We do have a section on our website that is um, has opportunities for that. Um, we also would be happy to field any telephone calls. Um, for anyone wishing to make a, a financial contribution. Um, we have um, folks who are donor families or recipient families that also gift us their time um, oh, in the form of ambassadors. So they're willing to share their story, um, go to different events, record their message to promote more education um, surrounding donation. And this way they have that local connection and uh, more up to do the donation or fill out the forms or stuff like that. Yes, yeah. go to That's community really fairs, all of those different things, yes. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break and when we return, Kelly from LifeSource will fill us in how to become a tissue donor and, and about training funeral directors. So we'll be right back. The Dodge Company has remained on the cutting edge of the funeral supply profession thanks to our commitment to innovation. We continue to develop the most widely sold embalming machines in the world, as well as new chemicals and solutions for our funeral home customers, including Dispray, which meets and surpasses the CDC's recommended threshold of 70% alcohol, as well as being fortified with a brand new generation of high-performance quaternary ammonium compounds. Put our edge to work for you with our entire product list at shop.dodgeco.com. That's shop.dodgeco.com. Hi, I'm Jerry Oliveri, hosting What's Your Edge with OGR and Kelly from Life Source. So Kelly, um, do you do any kind of training with funeral directors now to help them have organ tissue donation conversations during the pre-need or even at-need process? 
that is a great question. And I do want to share that most conversations surrounding donation, when you're approaching a family, it should be completed by uh, an individual um, who's called a certified designated requester. So that's an individual who's received specialized training through the organ donation agency to have those conversations with those families. They have timeline information, they have background information about what potentially could be donated, um, what will take place during the recovery, and all of those different background questions that a family might have. Now, in respect to training funeral directors, absolutely. We want to be able to have those positive conversations with funeral directors, and we do provide brochures for our colleagues to share with families during pre-needs. Um, we just ask that they support the family's decision um, for donation. You know, it wasn't my decision that I asked the family to donate and it wasn't the funeral directors, but it was that family's decision. So to support them and, and reaffirm their choice and then speak positively about that aspect with them. Um, that's gonna be a major, major education piece right there. There is also a new program that's starting through Donate Life America. And we happen to be members of a funeral service subcommittee. And we're offering a program called a Donation Champion Funeral Home. And so this does provide in-depth education to our funeral director partners on preparation aspects, um, how to speak positively about donation, um, components that they can certainly add into an obituary notice, ways to honor that individual through a visitation at the funeral home, like a flag raising ceremony, um, placing a donate life magnet on, on the hearse or lead car. Um, you could certainly um, hand out donate life bracelets. We and, do bracelets. Yeah. Families wear pins, but mm -hmm. nobody's ever offered us on our in our state something to put on the hearse. Yeah, so this is relatively new. And it has the donate life, mag it, it says donate life, and on the bottom it says donor. So it's going to be very similar to any kind of military emblem. If you have oh, a magnet. Nice round, you put it on the two doors, both sides. Yeah, the back or door. on the back door of the coach, um, if that's something that the family decides that they would like to do to, to honor. Um, yeah, these are like, I don't know, 24 inch circles maybe. They, they, they're, they're square and they just have donor on the bottom, but yes, they are larger. Um, so that is something that we are working on. So we also provide uh, uh, ties um, for the individuals who wear ties or a dress scarf that say donate life on them. If the family wishes for them to wear those on those particular services. Well, that's a first, you guys got it before us. So I'm hoping that stuff comes this way because we don't have all that. Like I said, we just have the pins, the bracelets, maybe a logo in the obituary which they compensate funeral directors for if they if they put it in the obituary they'll give us 15 dollars. you know which is okay. yes yes yeah, um, well, and they don't compensate us for um you know not charging the family extra for the extra preparation and stuff exactly exactly so i'm sure that's crossed the states also um but my question then is there's always those someone in the family while you're at the conference that will bring up and say, so what do you think? 
is are we doing the right thing? And I know you said about the funeral director reaffirming their choice. Mm -hmm. Then they go too far. They I find that they go, well, you know, they're going to do this, this, and this, and this. And sometimes it's mm -hmm. high. And I'm always like, stop, stop, stop. You know, you just Right, right. Or the family, the younger ones will be like, so what's involved? There's always someone that's way too curious and, mm -hmm. and conversation starts. How do you tell funeral directors to stay away from that or glaze over it so we're not getting to that and people are going, what are they doing? Absolutely. And that, it, thank you for bringing that up. Um, it, it is a delicate conversation, much like it's a delicate conversation when a funeral director describes an embalming procedure to a family. You start off with very little information and we leave that conversation to the experts. So if a family does have con questions regarding what happens during the donation process, please have them call their local tissue recovery agency and have their team explain the process to them. Um, and then just, just as we would ask the family to call us, we will definitely refer them back to the funeral home if they have any questions regarding the funeral services or the embalming process um, and care of their loved one as well. Do you guys have um, maybe a two, three minute or however many minutes you think is necessary, like video that helps? So like if we're in arrangements, we can just be like, well, that's a great question. Let's bring the video up that really explains it better than I can. Ooh, that is a phenomenal question. We do have a six minute or just a couple minute video that we have that is promoted on most of our social media on how donation works, but it's mostly attributed to organ donation, but uh, we do have graphics. Um, so paper material that we can distribute to funeral directors. So if they do have questions, they can have that readily available for families should they have any questions during the arrangements. I think it depends on the age. There's a certain age that I would take that, take it home and read it. And then there's another set that's going to be like, yeah, no, no, no. Answer the yeah. question. So if you can like put up this two or three minute video, because if it's too long, you lost them. Again, the interest is gone. Correct. is gone. Yes. Sums it up, even if it shows some um, generated graphics that, that mm -hmm. explain it better. That, that that's enough, like you said, not too much, just enough. So now they're satisfied. And even if they don't see it, then if you give them the link and they can watch it at home, it answers the question. Oh, I love this idea, Jerry. And I'm definitely going to bring that back to my organization. I think that's a phenomenal idea. Age and what they're looking. Same thing, like when we do our aftercare, we always look at the age as to what we're sending because we know what. Mm -hmm. The 80 year olds and what will work with the 50 year olds you, correct it's the same resource for everyone right and it's yeah. it's definitely not a cookie cutter piece i mean every family is different and you know working in funeral service you know this just as well as i do and we want to care for them in each individual way that we can so providing that additional resource we want to help however we can so by making that suggestion, I very much appreciate that. And I am going to use that and bring that back to my agency, Jerry. So thank yeah. you Tell me, Jersey Sharing Network too, just in case. 
I'll, I'll try and get a hold of my contact. Away. You can take all the credit and then just be like, hey, all you other donation people, hey, look what we got. Maybe. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I also know that this is a little personal, that you're an animal lover and often post on Facebook animal care and life-saving protocol. Want to fill us in? <laughs> so I do foster animals. Absolutely. I am truly an animal lover. Um, my husband and I are animal advocates and um, we, we have a couple, well, we had a couple senior dogs and one of our pups um, did go over the rainbow bridge and his bonded partner was so very sad. He, they were together 12 years. And so fostering puppies or other dogs was the way to kind of give them back a little pep in his step, so to speak. Um, so we do work with a couple different fostering agencies um, and do bring in animals and, and help them out and get them on the road to health and help them find their forever families. So it's definitely a passion of ours. Okay, now the reason I brought it up is because um, nowadays they have insurance for animals. They people go the extra mile with the different surgeries. They're not quite mm -hmm. as put these animals down anymore, which is mm -hmm. loving. But do they have a network for the different surgeries to help animals that may need a type of donation? Also, is that, that is a great question. Through, through the agency that we foster through, they have an animal care fund. So if we have a special needs animal that comes into the, the, the rescue that we find out after the fact needs some significant medical care, they do make a public appeal for donations and they are really usually successful. Um, and then that would be monetary. What about the actual organs for the dogs that have cancer or... And, and, you know, dogs that may need um, some bone graft and stuff like that. Are we there yet? I don't think we're quite there yet, but hopefully it's on the horizon. Oh, definitely. I can. People spend a lot of money on their pets. We see it in the funeral industry. Oh, goodness. Yes. You know, so I see, I definitely see it on the healthcare. I mean, I have friends that have spent $5,000 after the insurance to make sure that the pet took the pet to chemo, everything. So mm -hmm. see certain type of surgery saying, well, if we just had a, a liver, if we just had something that the families would absolutely sign on for it. Right. That is going to take a lot of innovation and a lot of dedication to have that come, come to light. There yeah. is so much that's involved in organ donation. Um, and when someone registers and finding out what their blood type is and finding out the size of the individual and if the organ's going to work and some organs um, such as a heart, uh, the size, usually a, a male heart would not necessarily be able to be transplanted into a female heart, sometimes due to the size. So it really all depends on a wide variety of factors and how close the organ is to where it's going to be transplanted. Um, so say, say a heart, if a heart becomes available in Florida, we're probably not going to be able to transplant that in Minnesota because it's outside of a specific time frame. But if we have one available in Illinois, 
we definitely would have the opportunity because of timing. Oh, that, you know, when you watch TV and you see these things, they they make it sound like they quickly put it in a plane, a helicopter, and it goes, but they're in, <laughs> and it's in the cooler, right? Television is grand, <laughs> isn't it? To the emergency room, <laughs> and you know there's a time limit. But yes. What would you say that time limit is from procurement to the, the patient being prepped and, and in surgery? Two hours, four hours, six hours? So it varies based on every specific organ and also tissue. Um, as far as the recovery, where the donor is, that's where the recovery uh, surgery will take place. And so the recovery surgeons will come to that location where the patient is, and that's where the procedure will take place. Um, so for hearts, for example, you have about a four hour window from cross clamp or time of procurement to have that transplanted. Whereas upwards of 24 hours for a kidney. So you have a little bit more time to work with a, a kidney than you would say a heart or lungs, which have up to six hours, um, a pancreas, potentially up to 12 hours. So it all has to do with viability outside of the body after it's been procured. Tissue is kind of a different story. There are some bone products because they are decellularized that can last up to five years um, before it's transplanted. Oh. So that's a refrigeration or um, it, it's decellularized. It's um, I, it, it goes through a specialized process uh, that's similar to a dehydration, um, but they do remove all the physical DNA and so that it would be shelf stable for up to five years. I don't think people know that and they need to know no. that yeah. you know, it's not, you know, and some of this stuff goes to schools um, also, not just live people, right? So some of the, you know, stuff from the deceased sometimes go, like, cause they ask like people that are like, um, for us, every hospital, they'll ask every family member um, unless they have some serious disease, you know, would you like to still donate? I mean, it may not go into a live person, but mm -hmm. it into schools, universities, teaching hospitals, whatever. It will all depend on the need in the specific area that you're working in. Currently, our organization recovers with the explicit intent for transplantation, but we do have a couple partners that are working through different areas for research. Right now, we're recovering the talus bone for research, and then potentially um, some whole globes uh, for eye recovery. Um, but most of what we do have would be transplanted as far as any gifts that would be recovered. It all has a home, so to speak, before it's, it's recovered. And, and then is there a specific, like you said, size and stuff like that, but is there also a, other criteria like um, blood types and stuff like that have to match to avoid um, rejection? Yes, for organ donation, yes. Um, there is quite a, a big workup process that occurs when someone is going to be listed for an organ transplant. Um, it, and it really, there's so many variabilities that go into that. So when you see someone on TV that they're all of a sudden at the hospital and they're getting the transplant the same day, 
that that's not reality. The reality is so many people are waiting for so long. Um, and we have in cases of, of kidney transplants, sometimes patients waiting up to five years before they receive that life-saving call for a gift. Um, but you know, it, as far as the list is concerned, they need to know their height, their weight, their blood type. They have, in some instances, their size measurements taken. They determine how well their other organs are functioning. Do they need other organs to be transplanted? Um, they do a bunch of different lab tests for, say, a liver. They'll do their AST and ALT. So there are different levels of how well that organ is functioning. And someone would be higher on a list, the sicker they would be. Um, so the longer that they don't have, if that makes sense, um, that's them being higher on the list. So just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean you get higher on the list. Um, it may expand the knowledge of someone, you know, having to need that transplant, um, but it's not going to cause them to receive that organ any faster. So is there like a piece of information that you, you would hoping I would bring up and I didn't and that you want to fill us in on and you're like, oh, let me just add this to it? Absolutely. That anyone can be a donor. Anyone. Um, regardless of age, we, our oldest liver donor was 98 years old. Currently, our bone donors can go up to age 100. Um, and so anyone as far as age can be a donor, even individuals with communicable diseases can be a donor. Oh. So, so someone you, with hepatitis. Like HIV or? Yes. Not know so that. that is, there was recently a law that was, well, I don't want to say recent, but it was a number of years ago and it's called the HOPE Act. And this will allow individuals with other communicable diseases to receive life-saving organs as well. So they would pair up somebody who would potentially be an HIV positive donor with an HIV positive recipient, thus saving that person's life. That is really, really good because otherwise yeah. people would not have had a chance. Exactly. Yeah, because there's a lot like in blood donation, they still alienate those, right? They still say no. Yes, yes, they don't sadly. Have a way of processing or clarifying it or purifying it or anything. They ask you those. Yes. Questions and will automatically deny you, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's true. We found another way to help themselves to each other to pair them up because their, their life is just as valuable. Absolutely. And I'm hoping that um, blood donation is, is on that path as well. All right. Um, so, we end every podcast this season by asking the same question. What's your edge? Whether that's something unique from your personal life, a special set of skills you've developed in your personal life, what's the thing that gives you an edge to better serve those you work with or around you? Oh, that's phenomenal. Um, I feel that my edge is being a dual advocate. I see the importance and the dedication um, that funeral service has. And I can bring that back to my organization and advocate for our funeral director partners. 
not only through communication, but through recovery aspects, through um, our state funeral director associations, building those relationships and finding out ways that we can improve to serve them better. And I'm also an advocate for donation. So I can speak to our, our funeral director partners from the donation aspect and say, this is why your role is so critically important when you do serve that family. I also have a third aspect um, that gives me a little bit more of an edge too, that I recently um, became a teaching specialist at the University Program of Mortuary Science and am now teaching restorative arts. And so I'm able to connect with the students as they begin their careers so we can have those conversations earlier on in their career to promote the awareness of donation. So I think that's what gives me my edge. And I think the last part that you just said is really critical because it's before they get into a funeral home and all and get biased by an older funeral director who's like, nah, you know, what do you want? Why would you promote that? You know, you got absolutely. And that's that's the key. All right. Well, thank you, Kelly, for all your insights and getting personal with us. I'm Jerry Oliveri signing off from What's Your Edge, and we'll see you on our next What's Your Edge podcast. Good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Digital Dialogue Series. You can find this and every episode in the OGR Learning Library at ogr.org library. That's ogr.org library.